Welcome back everyone to our 2 cast number 168. Today's episode, um, which we'll get into in a minute, is with another of our Nuffield cohort. Uh, the last episode we had was with another of our Nuffield cohort, uh, number 167, with Cormac White, who was, um, he is from Belfast and he was a vet that, well he wasn't a vet, he still is a vet, he's with us still. Um, Cormac was a vet, why did he say was? Cormac is a vet, finished vet school and then travelled to New Zealand and Egypt um, and had some pretty exciting times out there and, and a lot of stuff that he saw that in, in his words he hopes he never sees in the UK. Um, but managed practices out there and then came back to Somerset where he met his partner. <clears throat> now he's got quite a strong focus on small ruminants. Um, from a veterinary perspective, it doesn't just look at them all the time. Um, and with that, he uh, he's, he's he's quite keen on the dairy side. Uh, so obviously dairy sheep not being very conventional over here in, in the UK and really goats in general from a commercial sense, not very, very common as well. So uh, yeah, quite a cool one there. Um, and he is he's looking into sort of how to find a market for that small ruminant dairy. <coughs> the next episode we have uh, is with Tom Scrope. I think it's Scrope. Tom, if I've said it wrong, I apologise. Very hard word to say. Um, Tom is another one of said Nuffield cohort. We don't really do much over here in the R2Cast. It's just Nuffield scholars for a month or two. Um, and Tom's looking at the ability to sort of try and increase from what I understand, I haven't spoken to him yet, uh, knowledge transfer from a soil health perspective. Um, obviously, the, the sort of beginning of everything we do in farming, and a lot of us really, including myself, don't have an in-depth knowledge of that. Um, so, yeah, that's what's going on. Uh, other episodes coming up. We're obviously just coming into Series 4. <clears throat> We're in January. You've probably thought episodes are coming thick and fast. That's not going to be the case the whole year. I just kind of wanted a couple of weeks of not posting um, just to give you a break because... Who wants to listen to me over Christmas and New Year? I mean, mum and dad don't, so why would anyone else? Um, so uh, we've had a bit of a break at the start of January, but the the the, the first three, the last three weeks in January, um, will be three episodes. Yes, three episodes a week, um, just to sort of catch up from that break and then back to normality in February. Um, but today's episode is with a man with the best shoes I've ever seen. Uh, so another of that Nuffield cohort, as I mentioned earlier, uh, today's guest, um, me and him bonded over our hatred of ties. Uh, and, and what's quite interesting about that is when you get taken on as a Nuffield scholar, um, as a gentleman, you're given a tie, which was quite interesting. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a very pretty tie. It's got the sort of cow that looks like it's on a unicycle um, little uh, Nuffield logo. And now he's making a face at me. I'm going to ask him what he thinks the logo is because I still don't fully know. Uh, and I really do like the tie. And I actually have worn said tie three times since, which is in five weeks, which for me is insane. But I not once saw Jamie wearing the tie. So I was quite impressed with that. Um, but yeah, as I said, his shoes were fantastic. And that's what I plan on talking about for an hour. Um, but yeah, Jamie, would you like to say hello? <clears throat> hello, everybody. Um, yeah, my tie's still in the packet. I have not opened it yet. I've got no idea what I would wear it for, but it's there. But on that next year, um, nothing will actually give you a choice whether you want the tie or the brooch. So that's becoming a choice now. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. Personally, the brooch. 
Yeah, I'd, pro I'd probably gone. I don't know whether I've been brave enough to stand up there and been the first person, first man to be awarded the brooch. But I oh, I, I, I absolutely would. I absolutely would have been confident enough to do that. <laughs> I would have been the annoying one that would have jumped forward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, you know, in seriousness, I actually think both are very cool, and it's kind of like. Whether you wear it or not, it's kind of quite cool to get that like symbolism of your your part of the team. Now it's quite cool. Yeah, I'm really proud to be awarded something that I'm never ever going to wear, but it's there. It's in my cupboard. Like I look at it every now and again. Like, yeah, don't know what to do with that. Can you just like when you do your presentation in two years, set it on the lectern? <laughs> like just what if it was going to tie it around my head like a bandana? Just um... <laughs> have you seen Brooklyn Nine Nine? I have. Yeah, it's like just the Jake drama of yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, now we've mentioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine, can we start this on a really sad note? Did you see Andre Brower at that? Yes. Yeah, Mate. unfortunately. Yeah. God. He's, I, I have been, since that news, I have just been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So it's back so back. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. He's with Cheddar now. It's fluffy boy. Yeah. yeah. And he's so young as well. I mean, it sort of makes you bright. So I, I don't feel that old, but I'm like closer to his age than young people now. I'm like, whoa. There you go. <laughs> What age are you? Welcome are you... to a happy recording on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, geez, that sort of came out. <laughs> um, what age are you? Uh, 36. There is no way you are 36. Yeah, I am 36. Yeah, if you that, use that, you and I together, well, but if, what's important is, is, if, is the way people look. And if you sat the two of us in front of 100 people, 107 of them would say I was older than you. There's like, <laughs> no chance in hell. There's ten years between us. The wrong way. That's mad. That's the trick is just never grow up. Just so, so just, I'm surrounded by Lego. I'm sat in my office surrounded by Lego. This is this is how I live my life now. If if the trick was to never grow up, I would still be three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just I keep breaking my uh, my uh, my uh, little mobile. I keep sitting in it and breaking it. It's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that podcast took a, a weird little start there, which I like. <laughs> Mentioned to Andrew Brewer. For those that don't know, um, if you have not watched Brooklyn Nine Nine, I strongly advise you do it. It's one of those ones you'll put on, and you'll probably think for the first few episodes, like this is a bit daft. If you can get into the daft mindset, I genuinely think it's my favorite TV show of all time. Utterly amazing, yeah. um, and unfortunately, the um, the captain of the precinct, his actor, just died last week. So that was a very sad, very sad week, uh, and 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 quite a sad start to the podcast. So let's try and brighten up a bit. Um, Jamie, just for those listening, we haven't really said anything apart from the fact that you have magnificent shoes. Um, tell us a bit about your life and what what brought you to this stage of of wearing such magnificent shoes. I'm joking; the <laughs> shoes aren't. Uh, the, the, which, so the, the shoes are referencing so, so I turned up at the first Nuffield meeting in white Doc Martens with a gold ribbon lace mm -hmm. a big old bow because um, yeah, you've got to make a statement when you walk into a room full of very intelligent people who all, it's one of those moments you walk in and think man, these people feel a lot cleverer than what I do so here I am making a statement and then I followed that up to the uh, moment when we had to wear a tie and to dress all posh uh, in some very nice sparkly embassy shoes with them that are just I mean they were so uncomfortable but they looked brilliant so I was rocking that um, but no I, I'm an arable farmer so third generation arable farmer so I, I have done nothing else with my life other than farming and talk about farming so to get to this point is just like just the progression of normal normality for me pretty much 
So is, is this what a Nuffield scholar is? That someone just does something forever and then suddenly they think, do you know what? I'm going to travel the world and do this forever. Uh, Pretty much. I mean, yeah. so arable farming isn't that complicated. So I got to a point sitting at my desk one day, I was like, I don't really know what to do now. I've sort of got the plan for next year. What's next? And so I'm like, have you done a Nuffield, Jane? I was like, no, I haven't. Let's go and have a look at that. But here I am. Brilliant. Well, here, we'll get into the Nuffield plan. We'll get into all that sort of thing. Um, so you're from, from an arable farm, now still work on an arable farm. There has been a few yeah. things in the middle there, but as as a youngster, is is that all you wanted? Is what uh, you wanted yeah, it's one of those weird things. So literally, um, born on an arable farm, never really considered doing anything else. I don't think there was ever a point. Actually, no, it's not true. I wanted to be a racing driver, but it turned out I'm not very good at that. But okay. yeah, so the whole rest of my, my life has been just planning to work on the farm. I never really thought about doing anything else. So I went off to uni and studied agriculture, straight agriculture at Reading. And came back from there, back onto the farm. Never really considered leaving. So, it's, so yeah. Are, are you still? Is is it family farm owned? Yeah, or is it sort yes. of managed? Yes. Yeah. So it's funny. I'm worth a thousand hectares of purely combinable crops. I uh, yeah, my grandfather. So grandfather's father was also a farmer, but he was the second son, so didn't inherit anything. He right. started from scratch, and when he handed it over to my father, there was six hundred hectares, and then father so, handed it over to me, and we're about thousand now or take and is it just yourself any brothers or sisters involved uh so i have a, a young brother and a younger sister both of whom live in london one works in fashion one does something with computers that i really don't understand um so but i actually run the farm with my two cousins so uh, dad's brother and uh, yeah they're both um both run the farm with me one of them is an electrician one of them is a better mechanic than i am we've just sort of managed to meld together and i sit there and do the paperwork they fix everything i break we carry on I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. Excellent. Do you know, I, absol I absolutely love when people explain that a family member does quote unquote something in computers because that's what everyone says every time and it, you know I'm actually glad you followed it up with a don't actually understand because that's what everyone's thinking they just never say it I'm like oh yes they're in computers and then they say about the other person that's in construction they say exactly what they do but you know it's just computers that's <laughs> <laughs> which I love to hear he studied maths at university so proper math the math that you sort of sit there and look at it and there's a page of nothingness but it seems to make sense in his head all the way through to uh, sort of proper statistics. I think what he actually does is something to do with targeted marketing. And he's okay. really clever about it. And I just, whenever he talks, it's just like white noise. So I can't tell you anyone. It's, it's good to hear he's good at marketing his job to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a standard brother thing though, isn't it? It's like, I'm not, I don't really understand. I'm just going to go over here and talk about tractors. You know, once, once math started, moving into the alphabet i was like this isn't where numbers go this is not right and i used to i genuinely i was i wasn't terrible at maths like i got a scottish higher b which is kind of from what i understand like an a level c <clears throat> um uh, but i vividly remember the first time i'd done algebra seeing x like you know uh, 2x whatever and i thought right okay that must mean 23 because it's the 23rd letter in the alphabet and I would say there was three weeks that the teachers couldn't work out, like, 
why is 2x46 Wallace? <laughs> and I'm like, because it's what else is it going to be? <laughs> I, I love your logic there. That's, no, that's the it, best logic. It's just couldn't get my head around it. Not for me at all. And then I got quite into it. But I mean, it was just, yeah, a bit confusing. Um, yeah, what, what, what came after uni, Jamie? Were you <clears throat> straight back to so, the farm? Um, from uni, straight back onto the farm. But I would, don't suppose at that point in my life, I was quite ready to sit in Cambridgeshire. So I actually went off and worked for the Royal Agricultural Society, which became Innovation for Agriculture. It was a big title change. I was there as their soil specialist. So I spent four or five years traveling around the country, learning about soil and then teaching farmers about soil. So it's sort of, yeah, a whole lot of uh, information that was no one was really talking about at that point in time. And then you sort of spend a lot of time talking to universities and important clever people with piles of books on the desk. And uh, you sort of learn stuff that you, then they go, where did you find this out? You're like, well, I originally read it in a book that was written in the 1970s. And that guy read it in a book that was written in the 1900s. It's just like keeps getting recycled around. And I sit here now and listen to people who are current soil experts. Like, well, I knew about that 15 years ago. It's like, it's, it's still the same stuff just coming around just slightly differently. Probably very rude. It's probably some very upset soil scientists going, what are you talking about? I think, I think that's what progression is though. I mean, like it's, you know, we, we've we've had humans on the planet for anywhere between sixty and hundred thousand years as Homo sapiens, and it's you know we find this thing that's good, and then we're like, oh no, I've got to try this, and then, well, we've used the land in that way, so it's kind of changed again. So that thing that was back here is making sense again. Like it's quite circular. Um, yeah. So I think it makes sense. Yeah, and it's it's almost just it's maybe not the case of oh well, I heard that twenty years ago. You're an idiot for just coming up with it now. It's more, well, oh well, that is working now. It did work yeah. before, didn't for a while. Let's go back to it. Um, which is, yeah, it's, I guess it's what research is, isn't it? It's finding what's working at the minute. Um, uh, that would be pretty cool, actually. That would be quite enjoyable. And oh, you're almost sort of. I think that's one of those jobs, like like a lot of jobs, in fairness. But it does it does seem even more so with that that you. you it seems like even though you weren't going straight into to farming at home, it seemed like it was ser- sort of there, and it was a way to make money, but also learn for when you came back to that is that right is that how that felt yes yeah i mean it was um i was i wasn't looking for the job the um the person who was running a royal culture society got in touch with uh reading my university and said hey, do you know anyone who's come through recently who would be fitting for this job of speaking to scientists and then talking to farmers and they were they were like you need to speak to jamie and i was like oh, okay this sounds like fun let's go and have a go at this for a while and literally, it just it, it spiraled into uh, it kept going. So we literally started off talking to lecturers, trying to figure out what was new, then trying to figure out how to tell that to farmers, and then we ended up actually helping some of the big landowners when they were trying to write soils and soil management into their tenancies. Yes, yeah. so we go all the way up to there, and then basically turning around and telling them you can't write that because farmers will never be able to do that. What they wanted was like trying to map organic matter and saying over your tenancy of five years, you've got to start to build organic matter. I'm like, five years is not long enough to start to see improvements. If you are seeing improvements, they're not doing it right. And yeah, then talking them down and then them going, right, that's fine. Now you go and teach all of our tenants. So I did every single tenant of the Crown Estates, teaching them about how to manage their soils. And it was a requirement for them to listen, otherwise they weren't going to get their tenancies renewed. So this was sort of right at uh, that was pushing me as far as I wanted to go in the world of um, uh, sort of teaching people, if that makes sense. I was 20, 
24 dressed like I do now, rocking up to small livestock farms and they're going, right, I'm going to listen to this animal farm from Cambridgeshire tell you about how to manage your soil. You can imagine the response I got sometimes. I can imagine some expletives in there. Do you know, it's, <clears throat> it's one thing I've had consultants on and consultancy is a thing that I tried and failed at three times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't mean to brag. And by tried and failed, I never got the chance to try. I tried the interview and failed three times. Um, humble flex. Uh, so, but I, I am almost glad because I would have been 20, 20, I'd have been 19, 21 and 23 when I tried for it. Um, and I don't think at any stage there, I was in the position to be comfortable and go and tell farmers what to do. Um, how did you find that? I would have really, I generally would have struggled with consultancy until a much older age. At the beginning, I hadn't really considered it. And like most things in my life, I just, someone says, can you go and do this? And I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's go and have a go at that. And so it wasn't until I started to get uh, sort of feedback vicariously from farmers that I'd spoken to, when they were starting to turn around and go, who the hell is this young lad coming, trying to tell me how to look after my farm? I've been here for 40 years. I know what I'm doing. And um, yeah, so yeah, to begin with, it was really easy because literally I, I'd been speaking to the scientists. I knew all the exciting stuff. I was really excited to tell people about it because this was new stuff that hadn't been told before. And um, yeah, then you sort of start to get the backlash and you're just like, actually, this maybe this, maybe I'm not old enough to take on this yet. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's tough. Farmers can be tough. Because when people rock up to my farm, even salesmen and anybody, I'm quite a hard person to deal with. Because I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing, and I know what you're trying to sell me, and I want to buy it. So it's like quite hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, before you even go up the road, you know, sorry, before the person selling, consulting, whatever, comes up the road, you know what you want, and you've got that idea in mind. Yeah, I would, I did sales, um, for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, I still very unproudly wear the band until the day it breaks. <laughs> um, and honestly, I mean, like, I was I was an extremely good salesman because I was an extremely horrible person. And I, <laughs> I genuinely mean that. I vividly remember, and I won't say the lady's name, but I remember her full three names because I remember reading it as th this horrible thing happened. I sold her absolutely everything she needed under the sun. Sorry. I sold her everything I could under the sun, <laughs> didn't need any of it. She was eighty-seven. I remember her address because I dropped her off and picked her up. Um, and I remember her crying on the phone to her husband. <clears throat> and I walked through, and my area manager high-fived me, and I was like, oh, "Fuck this place, man! I'm gone." And I only had another week, and uh, I got furloughed. So I took some money off them for three months, but like, I just, I hated it, and I, I know I would hate it even more when. You know, I, I think quite a few folk in agriculture know who I am now. And it's it's a network like that. We all sort of try and help each other. Yeah. It's a, I think for a lot of it, it's a friendly network. There's a lot of issues with it. We've spoken about it in the podcast a lot. But for the most part, it's a nice environment I've found. And it's a small environment. And if you sort of push it too far, no one's going to like you. It's a, it's a tricky one, but um, it is, it is a, it, it would be yeah. an interesting one. And Crown Estate-wise, how many tenants is there, roughly? I've got no idea. I just remember room after room after room full of people. Yeah. So it took, uh, we were doing that for six months and there was always a room full of at least 10, 15 people. It just wow. seemed to go on and on. They are the biggest landholders. We had the National Trust as well, which I think is the second biggest landholders. So we did a lot of their tenants as well. It just seemed to go on and on and on. Yeah. 
I think the biggest landowner in Scotland is the forestry, and then it's the crown up here. I think. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I I can't remember how many farmers up north of the border I I spoke to, but I remember going up there and it just being very cold. So I'm trying to <laughs> <come> <laughs> back south again. <laughs> I can't put wheat on that hill. Why am I here? Exactly. Uh, yeah, stupid. There day. are definitely areas where I come into farming and I look at it and go, I've got no idea how this works. <laughs> so I don't, I don't even know how you get a tractor through that gateway. This is that I'm out. <laughs> I see an animal in my field that thinks a pest. <laughs> what are these old <laughs> things doing? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, crown wise, I mean, the, there's the drama of Bermoral at the minute. We'll see what that means. But yeah, interesting one. But uh, yeah, um, you came back to farm. That was the plan. Yes. Yeah. So um, my father had a health scare. And he basically turned around and went, I, I'm not going to do this for much longer. So I left the um, the Royal Agriculture Society and came back to the farm, took over the management, which a transition in family management takes decades. But we have just about got there. But I got very lucky in that he was um, really trusting in the fact that I actually knew what I was going to do. So he was quite happy to step back and he says, let me make my own mistakes. But I made more money than he did. So I'm quite happy with my mistakes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's why I, when I came back, and we've just been uh, growing since there. So he sort of stepped back, but still turned up to the morning meetings until COVID happened. And when COVID happened, I turned to him and my uncle and I said, "Look, if us, the small team, catch COVID, it's going to wipe all three of us out. You guys are going to need to come back and do the spraying." So they literally stepped off the farm and waited. We never caught COVID. They never came back. That was a really sort of easy transition as far as farming families go. As, 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 as you know, actually, having <clears throat> had discussions on here about difficulties with succession, um, there's actually a guy that messages me on Instagram every month or so uh, that asks to do a sort of podcast on that and someone to talk about it. It's such a tricky one to get someone that's in a bad position to talk about for obvious reasons. I mean, I, I've, in my previous career, I've been, been sent to a lot of farms where succession is an issue and there are young farmers who with ideas and just being stifled by the older generation. But it's not all easy. So my grandfather is still alive. He's 93. And if, he fires me about once a month. Right, okay. So he, he can't understand how I can farm. But when he farmed, he had between like 16 and 70 staff, depending on where he was in the season. There's now me and my two cousins and that's it. And he can't quite understand. It's like, why haven't you cut down that tree? It's like, because we're busy doing actual farming stuff. We'll come back to the tree. It looks a bit ropey in a little while. <laughs> I also like his solution to not understand how you can do it with less people is to make there be less people. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it's the standard dress of mine. I should just put in a manager. You should go and get rid of you and just put in a farm manager. He'll do what I want them to do. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's, that's fine. I'll go home. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you'll be fine in the morning. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's nice to hear stories when it works fine. I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's really nice to hear, actually. Um, yeah, so wh when was that? What age were you then? Uh, I'd have been late 20s, 27, 28, when I came back to the farm full time. And even Thanks. then, it was yourself and your two cousins once once your sort of dad and uncle. Uh, so, no, so when I came back, that would have been my father and my uncle were still there running the running the there was sort of almost two businesses so my grandfather had one business got split between the two of them and then at that point i'm slowly transitioning back to one business just to make <clears> scales work better and so i came in under those two uh with uh one of my cousins was there and a couple of members of staff and then as as time progressed i slowly took over the management of both the businesses and then yeah we're now down to just 
me and my two cousins. And tell us a bit about the farm. So, thousand, uh, so thousand yeah, hectares of pure arable. So we are a wheat, barley, and then a break crop, which is has historically been oilseed rape, but we've, we're right in the middle of the flea beetle area. So oilseed rape has disappeared. Uh, we're now beans and trying rather successfully spring oats for the first time okay. that we grew for oatmeal <laughs> and then actually made uh, full human consumption. So they went into a nice biscuits, which is very exciting. Um, so yeah, that's it. It was, um, yeah, 1,000 hectares. Really simple farming system. Just try to keep everything as simple as possible. Yeah. So we're, we're over-mechanised. We have a lot of large kits so we can hit our land when the conditions are right and just blitz through everything as quickly as possible. So yeah, it's been... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say we're that different to what most people in the area do. We just do it at a slightly different pace to most people. More sort of condensed when you can, you do it now. Is yeah, so um, I suppose I'm a bit different that I have um, not the most interest in working long hours. So I want to get through everything as quickly as possible. So I will work the soil when it's right to work it and we'll hit it with machinery that we can travel to do a large hectare per hour so that we're not there at seven o'clock at night in the dark <laughs> on a crawl over areas. It works for us, it doesn't work for everybody, but that's sort of uh, life goals of being at home rather than on a tractor seat. I think everyone should be like that. Here, we get it. There's times, lambing, harvest, calving, whatever. You know, there's times in farming, intensity is required. Yeah. I don't, and I see it in my students, man, like 15, 16 year olds. They're like, oh, I did 120 hours last week. And I'm like, I don't it, care. It's, it's almost like a badge of honour within farming. Badge of honour, literally killing people. Literally yeah. killing I, yeah. I can't understand it. But I mean, I, I always feel like I sit on the fringes of agriculture a lot when it comes to how people react to decision makings and what they get up to and it's um yeah I can't understand why people feel like they have to make the jobs last longer why they want to do stuff that takes more time whereas I mean I, maybe there are every farm is different conditions but for us it's just like we're if we can change this around and do doing the job in half the time just as well why wouldn't we do it completely agree man. completely agree yeah, and it's like the amount of times it's dairy farmers and arable farmers are probably up here with this. Oh, I haven't had a holiday in 19 years. Great, you must love your life. Like, you know, I just I, I don't get the mentality. I get why and I get money requirements and all that, but I think it's a mentality that's proven. Like you say, there is ways to work with it. I think maybe that's a privileged the, opinion, but the dairy industry is something that I really don't understand. Well, some of my best friends are dairy farmers. I mean, have you had Abby Reader on the podcast yet? No, I haven't. if not, you I need to. You you are you need to get Abby. She, I mean, she'll be She's on TV like every week. She's brilliant. Um, but she is the the archetypal dairy farmer. She works all the hours. It's it's crazy. I I don't understand it, but she couldn't do anything other. She looks at my life and goes. It doesn't seem like you're doing doing anything right. I'm like, how? Why? Why are you not doing more interesting stuff all the time? I'm like, because I don't understand. There's a question that I don't understand an answer to. Does yeah, she? She is brilliant. Does she have an Instagram or anything like that? Uh yeah, she does. I'll send it all over to you. Yes, but uh, no, it's not a name I've heard. Um, she's uh, she's deputy uh, Welsh NFU, whatever. Oh, wow. I don't yeah. remember her full title. But yeah, she, um, she has so many stories. But yeah, I can't, there's a whole lifestyle difference between what I do trying to work less hours and the amount of stuff she manages to cram in into a day. 
I can't figure it out. <clears throat> well, the, there's it's an interesting one because the the argument of of why you are working those hours as well. I love what I'm doing, and it's all I want to do. Right? Great. Yeah. I think one of life's riches is being able to love what you do. But my life is eight to five farming in a teaching context, normally about six to nine farming in a podcasting context. And then the times that I'm not podcasting, I'm speaking at farming events. And then when I go home, mom and dad are like, any chance you can help? You know, so like life is farming. And I think it's pretty positive and pretty, pretty healthy to have that. Well, let's have a look at life that isn't for a minute and <laughs> realize that there's more to life. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting one. It really is. For me, I'm just de desperate to step away from, so when I'm at work, work is all consuming, which is new tech, new technology, new ideas and everything. I, I come home and I have to do something different. I have to turn my brain off. I have to go and find something that's not farming. Because otherwise I will just sit, spend the evening sat on the computer going, well, hold on, what can I learn about this? What what have I missed? Why, why don't I understand what this guy's doing? So yeah, I have to step away from farming. So literally, once I I step away from the farm, I don't I don't do anything else. I don't. It doesn't click around in the background. I have to go and occupy myself doing other things. I drive myself mad otherwise. It's true, and you know, like obviously, you met Yasmin when we were down in Exeter, and like having having Yasmin's been great because I'm terrible. I was terrible for home from work podcast. How can I get better analytics after the podcast? Edit the podcast maybe write a, a lecture and then at two o'clock maybe turn off and I'm like in the morning but now even if I play Call of Duty for an hour like that's a good thing or if we go yeah. whatever you know like it's and I I am probably doing just as much on the lecture and podcast and what young farmers side as I was before because there's not that intense burnout up there um yeah, it's an interesting one. I wasn't actually really expecting to get into that, but it's an interesting one. <laughs> it's funny how these podcasts go, eh? I'm yeah. not very good at a sort of a single train of thought. I tend to just sort of go, oh, this is exciting. Let's talk about that. Yeah, but who, how many times have you driven in the motorway for ages and the fun parts when you go off and see what's next? Like, it's just boring. Exactly. Yeah. Um, away from the farm, Jamie, one thing that's quite interesting about you, and you'll find this if you look onto, uh, if for those of you listening, by the way, guys, <clears throat> you'll notice... Um, uh, a lot of these podcasts since about November, probably till about mid to late February, are Nuffield. Um, and what Nuffield is for those that somehow don't know, if you've just appeared on this episode, is is a, a well, I could describe it in more depth, but essentially for those that don't know the layman's term or whatever, is like it's a travel scholarship for people to go out and try and find out about farming in whatever sense, and then better the UK sector, um, when they come home, um, and with that. <clears throat> there's 23 of us this year, uh, me being one of them, which means there's 22 really smart people um, out there. And then I'm along stealing some fajitas and sausage rolls at the events. And uh, <laughs> what what that sort of has done is, is brought us all together and, and we've learned about each other and met each other. And we're going to go to Brazil and whatnot in March. And then we'll go on our separate ways for the, for the next few year and a half and then present at the, the, the convention as to what's happened. But if you're interested in all these people that I'm, I'm sort of interviewing, there's absolutely not more in-depth than in the podcast, but there's a, a sort of um, overview, a bit of information on the website. And in Jamie's, it says um, something along the lines of oh, oh, quite interested in openness about mental health. Uh, and and I'm going to I'm gonna touch on this because I think it's very important. Uh, there's For those of you that read The Daily Record, I mean, feel free to say the truth about The Daily Record because I think a lot of it's true, but there's going to be a story about me in it in the next few weeks. 
um about my walk around Aaron when I get hit by the car and all this stuff and, and the fact it was it was for well it was I was doing it in the name of mental health. And I, if you'd went four years back and you thought Wallace Curry was doing something talking about mental health, you would tell me you were lying. And it's absolutely true because I just pretended life was fine. I had a massive big bottle on the shelf with a big chunk of problems and I'm probably my you know my ex-girlfriend, my family around me once every few months saw this horrible guy for a few hours and then I was fine again for however long and I just pretended everything was fine. I think a lot of people do and I think sometimes um that bottle's bigger than even mine was and now that bottle's never it's never closed and people never get to hear the end of what I'm thinking that positive negative and that just makes it so much easier. And I'm really interested to see why you're so open about that Jamie. Is there a reason? And sure if there's any but yeah I mean I, I've struggled with mental health. I mean it's always been in the background so we, we've talked about uh when i was visiting other farmers and then getting the backlash back on social media about how i shouldn't have been doing that and so it's anonymous but it's um you, when you find it it's really hard yeah. and i did the um the farmers of the uk twitter account and again i'm very open about what i do and my approach to life and the backlash i got from that i think i actually put on there that i had struggled with mental health i got someone back saying well you wouldn't get that in my industry i'm like well that's not the point i so i'm trying to be very open about yeah. I'm, I'm struggling because i'm i mean as you've sort of noticed i'm quite happy to talk about pretty much anything so i when i do struggle i found that it, other people were struggling but weren't able to talk about it so i was just like well if i just keep putting it out there then maybe um maybe i'll find other people who understand what i'm going through maybe better for me and then it's sort of starting to realize well hold on jamie you're actually helping other people by just saying that these things are happening so even if i don't understand or don't have the answers so but yeah so then i started literally on on twitter i was there uh in amongst the farming community as you are on twitter anybody who said anything that i recognize as a, as like a, uh something that i would write when i was down and i was just very even um sort of off things you can just drop into the DMs and I was just quite happy saying it's like look I, I don't understand what's going on but I recognize the signs if you want to talk about it I'm here I'm a stranger on the internet I you can be as honest with me as you'd like or I can point you in the direction of people who can actually help professionally yeah. so I've been just very open just trying to make that conversation better because um, I mean the farming industry sucks and us as men we really suck at just talking yeah. about what's crap we're the so, worst yeah. Yeah, that's it. I just try and be open. So now I have a, a lot of friends who work in that sort of area. I just the the more I can be open about how I am and what affects me, then the more other people are open and go, I didn't know you could talk like about this. You may not be able to before, but we can now because life's different. It's a it's a really interesting one. We I would focus on the podcast a few times like <clears throat> Lizzie McLaughlin talks about it a lot of them, um, Becca and Lizzie. Um Neil Barrett of NJB Hoofcare, Matt Sites, Matt Styles of uh, the Honest Farmer. Like people are, people are talking about it now, and it's just good. And it's I'm going to give a really, really weird analogy, right? Which is kind of how I roll. Um, see if someone saw me. I'm a. You see me, Jamie. We're slightly different body types. Yeah. I'm a uh, somewhat portly. Um. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't wouldn't dare say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll go with mesomorphed instead of anything. <laughs> uh, but you know that that's that's been the case my whole life. Um, I'm now at the stage I really couldn't care less. Um, I want to be healthy, but I don't really care about the look thing. Um, 
sometimes wonder how I managed to get Yasmin. Anyway, that's a different thing. Um, but uh, with that, you know, I've always been self-conscious. And even now that I'm fine about it, I still am. And the easiest way to explain this is if someone saw me in a tight T-shirt, I would hate it. But I couldn't care less if they saw me in my top off. Right? Now, yeah. It makes, it makes no sense when you really think about it, but it's the exact same mental health-wise. If I'm, if there's a problem there and I'm hiding it and someone gets it, I'm like, shit, I'm caught off guard. I can't own this. I can't, you know? But if if I'm just like, sure, trips, I'm having a fucking shit time and this is what's happening, I'm in, I'm in charge of that. I'm, I'm yeah. able to sort of let that out the way I want. And, and first off, <clears throat> kudos on the Twitter or X thing because, you know, it's an absolute cesspit of shit, that app. It really I've is. actually stepped away from it. I found towards the end when uh, they changed to the uh, the time you had to pay for it and other people's tweets were getting promoted and I wasn't seeing my friends. I've actually made some really good friends off of uh, Twitter. I've met in real life. Yeah. Don't meet strangers off the internet. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's sort of that whole, it's really tough environment to sort of, I had to delete the app and just step away from it. So I stepped away from all social media because I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. But to begin, I spent a lot of time on there just messaging people. A lot of them didn't message back, but I was always like, everything I said was like, I am here. This is, I'm here and I'm open. I will talk about anything and I will point you in direction, even if I don't know the answers. And I met, um, I've put a lot of people through to other farming contacts. So a lot of people would say to me, like, I'm really struggling to find, uh, so one guy was trying to become a crofter. So I'm really struggling to find uh, connections in crofting. I, like, I don't know any, but I'm, not, I'm quite happy to go and find the answers for you. I will go and talk to people and find out because I just keep prodding until someone gives me the answer yeah. that I want. And yeah, it's, yeah. Yes. Different, different times. It's respectful, man. Do you think, do you think social media, how, how am I trying to question this? Because I don't want to say, do you think social media plays a part in negative mental health? Because the answer is yes. It, but, it does, yeah. Well, <laughs> what my question is more is do you think social media companies so like you know like your musks or his person but you know like x meta this sort of stuff have a role to play to reduce that now the the danger just before you answer with that is is censorship and i don't agree with that i think i think that's quite a dangerous thing because what you deem to be censored what i deem to be censored what musk zuckerberg deems to be censored is all different things and i don't think anyone should be censored um but do you think they have a role to play in in, in creating a safer space i guess i i don't think anybody really understood what messing with social media was going to do to people's mental health i mean if you go back to the early days of instagram when it was just people posting their lives and you're like, this, this seems like fun. I can, I can show what I'm up to. And then it starts to become uh, promoted and then people doing the exciting things appear on the feed, whereas people doing the normal everyday stuff that we do don't appear. And you're like, well, hold on. Everybody on my feed is doing exciting stuff and I'm just going to work. And so I don't think anybody's really made the connection between driving people to the apps to actually get engagement, to get ad revenue and what effect it's having on everybody else. So I think it's going to be almost like probably a generational or generation or two's time before anyone fully understands how social media needs to exist with people. Because currently it is a very toxic environment for most people on social media. 
It is, yeah, and it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I, like it is. I am so. I don't want to say grateful because that sounds like religion, and I'm not going to come out and put a religious stance. But I just completely anti worship in any sense. But um, and I don't just mean religion. I generally, I mean like you know that sort of worship of football. Yeah, I love football. I could probably tell you more than ninety nine percent of people about football, but. I hate that side, <laughs> that sort of worship and worship in any sense of people, whatever worries me and that side of religion is obviously a big part. But um, the, what am I saying? It's like, I don't want to say I'm grateful for the fact that I have an extremely good life and for, for four years almost at this point, I've had very little trouble and I just love what I'm doing. I'm traveling I'm having a great job. I get to do this at night and speak to weirdos like yourself. I absolutely love <laughs> You know, and all this, like, it's great, yeah. right? And even people come up to me and I've had the, it's all right for you many a time. And I'm near the bottom <laughs> when you look at what some people's lives on Instagram is and stuff. And I sort of get lost in the fact that I'm just having a good time and I really couldn't care less about what someone else is doing. And by care less, I mean... Like let's click Claire Taylor, for instance, last year Nuffield Scholar. What she's doing yeah. is amazing. I'm so proud of Claire. I love Claire to bits. I just want to celebrate that. I don't see people that are doing well as a oh, I should be there. Maybe because I'm in the position that I'm enjoying it. But I can totally see if you're living a I just I don't want to go to work. But, I, don't, I, I mean do, just that can be difficult. I it must be horrible. Just, just to add content, I mean, so literally before the Nuffield thing, I was scrolling through the other people's social media and I saw yours and you were just like constantly off doing exciting things. So just before you were in uh, Ukraine dropping off a pickup truck <laughs> yeah, Ukraine, and then you got on a flight to somewhere else. Were you yeah. in America? America. We were drilling. And I was like, we were, I was climbing on up of tractors trying to fix things, trying to run seat bags about. And I, I literally was doing the same thing. So on social media, I was like, man, I'm doing the wrong stuff. <laughs> But it's, it, it's really weird just to see how simple things like that affect the mindset. Even when you're in a good place and you're like really excited to be going on the Nuffield adventure, it's like, well, hold on, I'm excited to be going on the Nuffield adventure, but everyone else needs to be better at this than I am already. So it's, yeah. I would I would disagree. And I think it's because, I, I look, listen, I've created a brand off of social media and more so off of the podcast, but the social media is sort of the home of it. And because of that, I post what's going on. Now, I absolutely post yeah. a lot of the bad stuff, but a lot of the bad stuff is you can post it and you can make a point of it. But there's also a lot of boring and mundane, and I don't even certainly want to say bad stuff. Why yeah. can you say that? First off, all of that traveling probably caused me a bit of trouble at work because I, was, I wasn't not doing my job, but with the sort of missed maybe four days, five days, however long it was, because America was with work, but... With that missed time, you know, you don't fall behind, but you miss things that you wouldn't be doing. And, and there was issues, yeah. you know, it wasn't all perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting to hear, you know. And it's, 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 it's the joys of social media. It doesn't show across that it wasn't perfect. We just, I just sort of walked into the, the day or two before I met you, looking at your social media, going, what, what the bloody hell is going on? So, what, 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 who are these people that I'm, that I'm supposed to be meeting? Who are the people who are supposed to be my equals? That's what, that always really touched at the back of my head, driving yeah, along. So, I mean, I mean, we're talking now, but the, some of the other people who are on our knuckle course, you look at what they've done, you're like, bloody hell. 
Like, yeah. I'm just an arable farm. I don't be sure. I, I grow crops. I put it in the shed and I go home. that's the massive part of it is is the way it can be worded you could you could say to me oh it's insane you're teaching the future of the industry you're sharing the stories of people in the sector and you're a second in command of you know internal and external relations of the biggest rural youth group in scotland but that's like the that's that's a nice humble brag though i like that one no, but, but <laughs> I'm just gonna like you're next. You're about to get the brag as well. Like, you could then say, "Oh, he just spends his time talking to folk about farming." That's literally everything. With you, you could say, "Yeah, I put wheat in the ground, and then we get we put seed in the ground, get wheat out, and that's fine." But what you could also say is talk about the soil knowledge you have, which, by the way, barely know the difference between a rhizome and a wheat crop. So, like, you know that that's the thing. There's a lot of wording in it, and we as British people are awful, <laughs> awful yeah. at playing herself up. We hate interview. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a different one. I love it, but you know, but like we, we're terrible at that side of it. We really are, and it's 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 an in our head thing. But then you you speak to everyone there, the 23 of us, and I don't think anyone's going to have spoke to you and made you feel small speaking. No. You know, it's just we can get closed in and social media does close us in because albeit in this little three inch by six inch thing in our hand everything's perfect everything out with yeah. it we'll just stay at home but when you actually go out and meet folk like you said don't talk to strangers and whatever i i, I think it's the but biggest talking to strangers on the internet is fine it's meeting strangers on the internet is where you cause problems oh no i've done it as well i yeah, i think there's have you ever seen yes theory on on youtube i have not no I don't know if you're a YouTube watcher. I watch YouTube much more yeah. than Netflix and stuff like that. But Yes Theory, probably one of the people that sort of <clears throat> spurred my interest in travel is a group of guys that, I mean, they're closing the name. They say yes to things. And their brand is Talk to Strangers. And I love it. I mean, I, I absolutely love it. We were told not to talk to strangers in case someone stole your sweeties when you were younger. And I get, I get the issues with talking to strangers, but also the benefits you gain from talking to 99.5% of those strangers is massive. We've yeah. went on so many tangents, Jamie, man. This has been a great episode. Well, while we're on this one, because I've got, I've got a, a, a people listening to me now, I'm going to point you towards uh, Tacona, because their uh, tagline is, it's okay to talk. They okay. are, um, they're one of the people who, they're car-based. I mean, my whole hobby is sort of automotive and petrol and things like that. Yes. But yeah, there's why they're out because they are literally, they arrange car meets and they're like, you come along and you can meet people. We're all talking about the same thing. We're all friends here. Nobody's got any issues or anything. Just come along and have a chat. Yeah, it's okay class. to talk. This is class. Yeah, you're a bit of a car buff, aren't you? Uh, yes. Yeah, that is, that's, that's what gets me excited. That is pretty much just got petrol running through my veins. Tell us, tell us about that. Tell us about uh, where you're from. Yeah. Uh, so um, it came from my stepfather, who has always had cars, and his dad before him has had cars in their life so when my stepfather was growing up his dad had a db5 that he used to tow a caravan with when I mean, they brought it at a time when they weren't worth anything and it's like the c1 now because they're worth mental money now just the pictures of it at silverstone with it sitting on the roof watching the formula one cars go around so yeah that was sort of and then it was it sort of buying car magazines and you know, watching the cars go down the street i'd probably love to drive that and then just it never left. So as soon as I got any money, I was buying something ridiculous or trying to build something ridiculous. I took it all the way up to racing. I built a caterham and tried oh. to race it for a year. And that's like the biggest adrenaline buzz. But it's also the quickest way I've ever found to burn money. 
literally it's just i could just yeah empty your bank balance as quickly as possible because you just get such a buzz i need to go faster i need to beat that guy next time we go out yeah i managed to do that for a season before i ran out of money and realized i wasn't good enough to get any further than amateur racing is kit i don't know are you a top gear grand tour fan uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty much my youth. Was just watching yeah. Top Gear, going, I I want to do this. I want to. I, I just want to spend my life driving around continents in fast cars, trying to make a living out of it. Is Caterham the one that James May has in a Bolivia special? Yeah. The one where they drive it off roads and he puts yeah. big, big wheels on the back of it. Yeah. yeah, they're like that, but sort of more normal looking. If it's I'm just look. You said they're worth mental money. The DB fives. I've just looked, and you mean mental money? <laughs> yeah, mental money. Well, I mean they they weren't worth that back then. I mean they they were an expensive car, but they weren't worth that. So my my stepfather tells a story that uh, he was at the local uh, local school, and he used to ask his dad, it's like whatever you do, don't pick me up in the Aston Martin because I would just get bullied for the next few months." Honestly, you know, that side of <laughs> That type of sort of area, yeah. That was his dad's thing. Just like, just he spent all his money on cars. Literally, that's pretty much my. I can predict where I'm going to be in twenty years' time. Just completely broke, but with a nice car sat in the driveway. But something <laughs> embarrassing your child over it. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much. I'm <laughs> you imagine turn up your 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 mom and dad turned up with DB5 these days. Jeez, everyone will be your friend. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I I did the Aston Martin thing when I was younger. I, I brought an Aston Martin. I spent far too much money on it and was struggling to meet the repayments on it but i had an aston martin on the driveway this was like right. this was like life goals i was 20 26 27 and it was a, a used v8 vantage which is like the cheapest way in and i had a warranty on it which is the best thing i ever did because i bought it for forty thousand, and it had forty thousand pounds worth of warranty work on it in the year and a half i had it I say I had it. It was a timeshare with Aston Martin's workshop because it was constantly breaking down. <laughs> but, um, it's funny. Oh, yeah, just life goals. But that was that, that's pretty much it. It's like what I work for is to go and get something new and drive it. It's like the last freedom. I love having the idea of having something on the driveway where if I decide I want to drive to Scotland or wherever, I can just get in and I can go. That wasn't going to stop me. There's something really, I mean, yeah, I was going to say there's something really nice about that. Having just heard you say at 26, you'd asked Martin in the driveway as I at 26 of a Renault Megane. But what matters is there's, there is something so freeing. I mean, I don't know what it is, but getting in a car with nowhere to go, I love. Yeah. No, just, I, I, I won't do it often, but I just, I might drive 40 miles, like barely anything, whatever. I just go somewhere and just, I don't know what it is. It's just, there's just something about it. Do you know, it's a really good one. Mixing um, both uh, your sort of love of Top Gear uh, and um, where I'm from, so they've got that. They've got that brand Drive Tribe, don't they? The sort of YouTube yes. side. Yeah, they, they, yeah. I was yeah. Story behind that. I mean, I could talk about that for ages because the whole thing was a disaster from start to finish. But it's yeah. Well, it's, yeah, exa- exactly. I mean, this is the, the what's I haven't watched much of. It. I've watched maybe some of the interviews I've done with the guys and that, but nothing major. But one of the guys, not Richard James or 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 Jeremy, but one of the guys behind it has Jer- uh, sorry, Hammonds and Pretza and he takes it round this Scottish island and that Scottish island yeah. is like where I'm from. Like you see our sheep in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really cool. It's a really cool video. Um, but yeah. Do, what's your opinion on the, I don't even know the names, LeBlanc Flintoff one? Oh, so um, yeah, Matt, Matt LeBlanc was bef- uh, before Flintoff, I think. But right, yeah, 
So Chris Harris has been, I, I sort of grew up, he started writing in Evo magazine and I sort of grew up following his progression through all the way up to Top Gear. So I've got all the time in the world for Chris Harris, even though he can come across as, uh, I don't know whether I can make that podcast friendly, but he can come across as that very, very <laughs> often. Um, but yeah, I mean, Top Gear, I feel like needs to reinvent itself. It's become a bit of a toxic masculinity type of environment. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, if it's on, I will watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know I've I'd never seen Top Gear until Grand Tour came out, um, and I've now not seen any of the Top Gear that's not the specials. I've yeah. never watched Top Gear, Top Gear. Um, I just I mean I, it can be if you're not into cars, it can be very boring and just very laddish. But I mean they yeah. can be as laddish as they want. If they've got a V12 Ferrari on it, I'm going to watch it for sure. Yeah, glued to the screen. <laughs> Whereas I, I just. I love that. It just feels like a bunch of mates having a good time. That's the part I love. It's just, I mean, my mum, yeah. my, my dad's not a Clarkson fan. I think he likes him more now with the farm side, but um, my mum and I, I first introduced mum to the Grand Tour, and it's, uh, I think the first one we watched was Carnage à Trois. So it was <laughs> during lockdown, and they, yeah, the three, the three French cars through Wales from memory. Yeah. And I just remember my mum and I being in tears when James just hits a random stop in his Peugeot and just like gets a, a whiplash. And I don't know why we've just laughed at that. And if there's four or five over the course of their million uh, tours they've done in Top Gear and Grand Tour, where there's like a random stop that just looks bloody painful that mum and I are just in fucking stitches <laughs> laughing at. And I don't know why. It's, I just really like it. Uh, it's just good crack. But um. Dear Jamie, we brought you in to talk Nuffield, and we haven't. <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> we're talking about everything else, though. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing about the thing we intended at first, but we'll, we'll get to that now. Um, tell us what your your Nuffield plan is, and before you do, uh, why Nuffield, and, and sort of what what um, what made you choose that? You sort of alluded to it earlier on, but uh, so Nuffield has been sort of in the background for a long time. When I was doing the soil stuff, there were Nuffield scholars were popping up left, right, and centre. They were always doing the interesting stuff, stuff that farmers wanted to learn about. But it's always been there in the back of my mind. And then it got to the point where I was literally hunting around for something to do. Like the the farm got to a point where succession was the next big step. So we are, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the phrase I have to use a lot that I hate using is just waiting for grandfather to die. So we'll do that when grandfather's dead. I'm, I'm, I'm fed up of saying this. I need to go and find something I have to do with my time. Yeah. So yeah, that's when I put in the application for the Nuffield. And what I want to go and do is look at the complete opposite to what I do at the moment. So everything I do at the moment is about scale and efficiency. So we have areas on the farm that I can't make money out of. So we've got one field that is... Uh, 13 hectares and um, it doesn't make sense for me to drive there and farm it because it's too far away for us so it, it sort of knocks all of the efficiency out i mean we do still farm it but you look at it and go okay i know i'm not making money out of this i'm doing it because i've, I've got the land there so i just want to go down and see what happens if you take the scale out of things and are farming on a really really small area so i want to go and look at urban farming so just people who are ship in shipping containers or in allotments or everything, just sort of the complete opposite end of the scale. Because if they're making money and farming in the smallest areas, then they must know something that I don't because I can't make money out of those areas. There were people whose farms are, would fit inside the places I call my field corners. 
sort of yeah. the bits that I don't farm because we swing around in a nice big arc. So yeah, that's where I want to go. And from there, we're going to go, hoping to go. I haven't done the travel plan and tried to figure out whether it's actually eco economically possible yet. But I want to go to Japan because they there's sort of I think the fact is they feed seventy thousand people per day within the city limits of Tokyo. Yeah. And you can't imagine doing that within London. And then um and then Singapore, who are um being uh, government driven. So Singapore, I mean I have stopped me if I'm rabbiting on and on and on. But um Singapore uh, produce something like seven percent of their own food currently. And their government has turned around to them and said, right, we're going to produce 30% of the food we produce, uh, food we consume by 2030. So they are being really pushed. And Singapore is basically it's a city state. So everything they've got to do is almost urban agriculture. So it's being driven from sort of the top down. And the whole idea of that sort of push from government rather than the sort of standoffish approach we get from ours. It's sort of, there's so many stuff that I think... I, I don't understand how it works. I want to go and understand. Do you know what's really weird? Really weird. I've said that percentage fact on the podcast four times because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to Singapore for the exact same reason. And that I, insanely weird. <laughs> it, it's that, that fact. I just, I can't figure out how you can take that fact and apply it to the UK. If you took that approach and applied it to the UK, I don't understand how it would work. That's why I'm so desperate to go. So I can't see where we can find. They want, I mean, first, I can't do the maths off the top of my head. The they want that 50% give or take yeah. increase in seven years. Yeah, yeah, percentage increase in production. Like, we couldn't do that in the UK. If you turn around and said you're going to, to get this much percentage production increase, I have no idea how I would find that on my farmland. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, you hear these successful urban businesses that are maybe run out of Port Cabin or, or in some cases a blooming flat, you know? Yeah. You've got a thousand hectares. If you can get a hundred units per hectare, I mean, you would be a billionaire, <laughs> you know, like yeah, if, you, if you could scale that up and that, but, but it just, it doesn't happen. And there, it's, it's a really interesting question because it's one of those things that people not from farming probably look at and think, well, why don't you just ditch the fields and go for this then? <laughs> but they don't. And there must be a reason, uh, so it's an interesting one. Like so when, when they when we did the interviews and they said, what what do you want to learn or what do you expect to find out? And I was like, I have no idea. I just have this big list of questions of people that are doing things that I don't understand. So that's I just want to know. I mean, I might get to the end of this and go, right, the stuff that they're doing can't translate back to the way that I farm. But I'm hopeful that I'll find at least something that I can go, I should be learning from this, even if it's just a mentality. So one of the things, so going back to cars, because cars is my life, uh, one of the things that I, 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 we learned, so uh, Ron Dennis, McLaren ex-CEO, had a, a phrase that he used when he was running McLaren was, that's good enough is not good enough. So basically, you, if you're going to do it, you do it right, you do it once. So we've sort of taken that and applied it back to, but I can see it from your face, so I'll say it again slower. That's good enough is not good enough. You know, oh, you do it enough. Enough. You... I was, I was, I thought you said that good enough, and I was like, which good enough? No, that's, that's good enough. Got you. Okay. That's good enough. It's not good enough. 
Agreed. So basically, when you get to a job, you say, "Ah, oh, that'll do." Is that no? That that point is you got to stop. If you're going to do it, do it right. Do it once. <laughs> that whole concept sort of changed the way that I found. We no longer do anything unless we're going to do it well. So if you get to like drilling and you get to the point where I mean, it's an arable phrase, sort of mauling it in. You're doing. You're trying to fight the weather. You're trying to put something into the ground that doesn't want to go. We will turn around and go, well, no, we're not going to do that. We'll wait until we get the better soil conditions. Even if that means we're going to switch from a winter to a spring, we've got that built into our system. We are going to drill it when it's right. We're going to drill it once and get a good crop out of it. If it doesn't come, we're not going to do it. We're not going to try and chase a bad crop all the way through. So yeah, I can't, I can't imagine the P1 was built on OK. <laughs> yeah. And so w- would you do that, Jamie? Is there times that you've, you know, you've had a, a wet autumn and winter crops? Oh, yeah. What stage you've just not spread? Yeah, so I, I have a, um, a so basically there's a calculation that I've, that I've run through of how much it costs me to grow a crop, what I can expect out the back of it, going from a good crop through to a bad crop. And I know that if we if we don't establish it right, then you're already away from a good crop. You're down to mediocre. And you can run the maths then and just go, right, well, I know that if I do this now, I'm going to end up at a point that doesn't quite work. So then I will sit and wait and go, well, I know that I can, if I get drill it better in the spring, then we will get a better return than a mediocre winter. So we do, we very much do turn around and go, no, it's not. We'll just sit and wait. We'll, but it's, I've built it all into my farming system. So I have for uh, winter wheat, we have three different varieties sat in the shed with three different drilling dates. We aim to drill the first one, which is the high yielding variety. And then if we miss the drilling date for that, I have a second one that drills from November onwards that's quite happy to go in then. So if we get good conditions in November, we'll put that variety in. And if we miss that one, we've got one that will go in from November through to April. It's still a, it's, well, it was a rinse variety. It's now technically classed as a spring variety. But it's just that sort of capacity built into the farm to allow me to go, no, this is not the right conditions. We will drill it when it's right. And we apply that across everything. If something comes into the workshop to be fixed, it doesn't very rarely, can't say doesn't because things do have to be bodged sometimes, but it is, if it's coming in to be fixed, we fix it. We don't go get this out the door and get it working again. If it's here because it's broken, we've got to fix it before it goes again. How long does seed last? Um, So we, uh, I don't know the correct answer to that one, but the way we do it is we actually always plant a, a chunk of each variety so within our drilling plan there will always be some of the the um the high yielding variety some of the middle variety and some of the back ones so they're always in the sheds and we have uh, so it's um i think it's f2 generation or f3 generation so stuff you can pull out the shed dress the seed and then drill back in again yeah so it's not we're not having them all sat in bags waiting to go but we'll have the option of them sat in the shed so we can pull them out of the shed if we need to, depending on where the conditions go. Wait, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're always buying in new seed and there will always be a field earmarked for those. So you get ideal conditions, you will always drill a field, field, a field of new seed of the middle variety and a field of new seed of the late variety so that when I come down to next drilling, I have that seed sat in the shed. And if I don't use it, it just goes on a lorry and goes off to wherever, wherever it goes to. Yeah, that's interesting, man. That's that's really interesting, actually. It's it's not something you hear often. I think it'd be fair to say. Yeah. No, it's it's just a bit of the sort of different approach to everything. But there are, I mean, 
I do it with varieties. There are people who do it with drills. I know someone who's got nine different drills. So they pull out the right drill for the right conditions. It's the same sort of approach. True, true. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's a cool one to think about. Uh, is it just Singapore and Japan you're looking at? Yeah. Uh, no, the uh, last one I wanted to go to was Detroit. Because Detroit is um, one of the few places in the world where people have had to grow food because it's the only way to get hold of oh, it. From my the shop. It's the car side you want to be there for. Well, that helps as well. But Detroit <laughs> was um, really into Detroit went bust. So their yeah. governance fell apart. And then they lost all of their services. Electricity was being cut off. There's no... So there are people who in Detroit who went from living like we do now through to the only way for them to get fresh fruit and veg was to grow it themselves. Right. And I don't think anybody in the UK really understands what I don't understand, what that's like to have to go through that transition. So to get back there and try and learn from them uh, is would be fascinating. But I think the problem is that Detroit is evolving so quickly. So the facts that I've got are out of date. And I think the people who were doing it are no longer doing it. So I might be having to change where I'm going a little bit. Yeah. But that I'm, I'm desperate to speak to someone who went through that just so I can understand what it was like. I mean, because I've got no idea how I go from, I mean, I couldn't go from where I am now to having to grow my own fruit and veg that we actually eat downstairs. I'm, I'm good at growing wheat, but not, not the stuff that actually is in the fridge. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll be cool, man. That'll be cool. You've well, two of the countries you've chosen are two of the countries I've chosen, um, Japan and Singapore. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Amy's Singapore as well. The yes, yes, there's a whole group of us. Just, yeah. I mean, have, have, so I threw through Singapore the other, um, the other year on the way to on the way to my honeymoon, and it's just it, it's a really um, sort of strange place to walk into because it's so clean. And sort of so different to what I'm used to from being in the UK. But it's, yeah, I was. Do you know I was very impressed in Rwanda. Uh, so if you're looking for actually, do you know what? If you look, we went to a vertical farm in Rwanda. Funnily enough, um, very primitive, but yeah, vertical farm. I've, do you know actually a vertical farm that harvests strawberries 365 days of the year? Blew my mind. It's, that it's crazy, isn't it? Blew my mind. And it's, but I probably haven't fully explained that because that would make sense if it was a conventional vertical farm in our heads. But a vertical farm that is outside, not a UV, a vertical farm using vertical poly farm outside during polytunnels. polytunnels is the only thing you could class as inside. Yeah. And I, I asked, because Christian, the runner of it, it's called, it's called Isa Niza, which is Grow Well in Kenya Rwandan. Um, he said uh, they harvest 365 days a year. And I was like, oh, have you got like another place? And he's like, no, here. And I'm like, no, it can't, it can't be. It's just, poly, it's just polytunnels with open sides. It can't be. And he's like, no, 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 that is genuine. I was like, holy then, shit, man, that's amazing. I mean, even more amazing, when I've been doing the research into urban farming, there is a place in France that I'm very proud that they've managed to do strawberries in a container. So I was like, oh, this sounds exciting to be able to do strawberries in a container. And then you're like, well, hold on, people have already been doing this. On yeah. a slightly different sort of scale, different process. Okay, well, maybe I need to change where I'm looking. You're you right. have to I send could, me the details of that one. I'm going to have to look that up. I could give you some really good contacts in Rwanda. I mean, even governmental uh, contacts. But the thing that brought come on to Rwanda before the thing clicked was Paul Kagame, who's their president or prime minister. Sorry, I don't really 
nowhere near what the difference is. Um, but what a progressive guy. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you know what happened in Rwanda in the mid-90s. Like, horrible genocide, horrible things happened. Um, but it's just progressive, man. They have a every last Sunday of the month, everyone, including himself, by the way, for four hours, cleans the streets. There was nothing on the street. Nothing. And that was two or three weeks after that date. So it's almost like a four-hour party to get rid of the wee bit of rubbish that's there. So yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, Kigali just felt like London. I've said that a million times in the podcast. Folk will be sick of hearing it, but it could be an interesting one. If if you're looking at powerhouses of food production, they're pushing it, man. I'm so <laughs> it's amazing what they're doing. I went to two vertical farms actually, but the strawberry one was probably in. But they were both both them um, polytunnel based, not inside UV light based. Um, it's amazing how much interesting stuff you find out when you stop looking at what you do. So I've been looking at arable farming for my entire life and find reading about it quite dull. And you start looking at what other people do. You're like, hold on, how, how are you doing this? Yeah. We, we said it earlier about the whole work in a million hours thing. Yeah. That's what you're doing on your daily basis. But yeah, man, I look forward to seeing it. It's an interesting one. Um, but as, as I said at the start, we've already spoke for an hour and 10 minutes, man. It just disappears. <laughs> uh, there's two questions that I never let anyone disappear without answering. And I absolutely hate the first one, so I'm glad I'm not the guest. Um, the first one is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the second one is, if you had any tips for or advice, I guess, for people coming into farming, what would they be? Um, where do I want to be in five years? Um, probably not doing what I'm doing now. I don't know. I feel quite sort of bored of what I'm doing now. But that doesn't mean that I won't be still on the arable farm it just means it'll probably look slightly different to what yeah. what's going on at the moment i'm not very good at sitting still i suppose that's probably the best way to describe where, where i see myself in five years would be just bouncing off somewhere else yeah and what was the second one i should have been listening advice i wouldn't listen to me um, <laughs> advice, advice for people coming into the sector oh that's that's a tricky one i mean um depending on what days you catch me on and what i've been doing one of the, the sort of advances between don't yeah, or, I thought you were going to say that, Nigel. You know <laughs> um, but no, farming is brilliant. But I just, all I want to tell people is that farming doesn't have to be what you think farming is. It doesn't have to be sat on a tractor. It doesn't have to be working the crazy hours. There is so much in farming that is um, like the advanced, interesting stuff, the people doing new science, the people inventing new and exciting things. Farming doesn't have to be in a tweed jacket looking grumpy stomping across the field with your wellies on it's funny your image in cambridge is someone wearing a tweed jacket up here that is just never the case flexithanes and dunlop wellies that's about it yeah, uh, yeah no it's all so the, the old people around here wear tweed the younger people wear the chiles and the brand that i can ever pronounce you always check you always check shirts though but right so what do you think of these quarter zips what uh, these ones? Oh, your one is no, nah, but in fairness, yeah. I'll give this you is, this is my, I call my Christmas jumper. Yeah, you this have is... polar bears on, you have polar bears, yeah. that, so that's excusable. Um, I just don't, I just think it looks silly. Uh, the there's one shuffle jumper, it's a shuffle, um, that I do really like, but <laughs> almost in the sort of tie thing, I'm almost like, no, because. <laughs> You walk around the Highland show and I'm like, oh, there's... Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's the same person wearing the exact same jumper as the 17 people next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't like I can it. guarantee nothing in my wardrobe would be seen at the Highland show. 
You know what, Jamie? Send me a photo of a random shirt in your wardrobe, and I promise you, if I can find it, I'll wear it to Highland Show. That's <laughs> that is I'll a... send you the link to some of the brighter ones. Zoom <laughs> handshake, okay? Yeah. Because last year, I was presenting the RHS TV, and I wore four different shirts over the four different days. And I know I have two sitting here. So, because it's waiting to go in the wash. This was one. So I like that one. For those listening, it's sort of palm tree with blue, orange, and a light blue through it. We then have this one, which looks like I'm working in some kind of place in Mongolia. And then, yeah, it's the only ones I can see at the minute in the washing pile. But, uh, but I, I tend to be more block colours, but I, I've got some that has like bright fuchsia. I mean, proper bright fuchsia. Ooh. And then through a bright green. I was planning to wear the bright fuchsia one to the Nuffield one, but I couldn't find the shoes that went with it. So that's <laughs> yeah, I don't understand the matching thing. I just wear uh, Adidas running shoes every time because they're comfy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's what it, um, so we talked about what makes you feel confident earlier. And it is I, what I wear is part of what makes me who I am. It's like half the reason I can present myself in this way is because I'm very confident in I dress like how I want to dress. And you know, I don't wear a tie. Yeah, and I completely agree with that because, like, I think so many people spend their life homogenizing themselves. I actually said this when Nuffield interview, homogenizing themselves into the same as everyone else, so they don't stand out. Whereas yeah. I know if I wear those shirts, folk chat to me and have a great chat to folk. I don't yeah. see it. I'm better than you because I wear a different shirt. I see it as genuinely as the conversation starter. But the things we have spoken about today have been everywhere. Um, <laughs> It's Sorry. Been fun. <laughs> don't apologize man this is the sort of episodes that go down really well um it was kind of how we spoke when we were stuck in a little corner on a random stairwell in exeter stuck behind yeah. three people. um waiting for a photographer waiting for a photographer that didn't have a lens now, <laughs> was that what he was running for it just appeared yes. on different floors <laughs> yep yeah that's what and embarrassingly i was uh <laughs> after the night Yasmin and I were heading back to the hotel and the, the gentleman was in front of us. And I genuinely mean, he might have been 20 metres in front of us. And she goes, how can a photographer not have the right lens? I'm like, be quiet. He might not be able to see far with his lens, but he can still hear 20 metres behind him. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you in, in real life, Jamie. And we'll be, we'll be seeing you for London and, and Brazil, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem real, does it? It doesn't at all. What it seems is real. <laughs> <laughs> knee slap um yeah good fun as always mate uh, good to chat and uh, have a good christmas new year when it comes um yeah. for those of you listening you're listening in january so that's going to be a very confusing statement that i've just said um however we are filming it in the last few days before christmas i think we're in the 20s now um i hope you've enjoyed jamie have you enjoyed yeah it's been brilliant fun thank you very much for having me on well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute pleasure. And for those listening, we'll see you for the next episode with Tom Scrope, another one of the Nuffield cohort. And that means, yes, that means the episode after that is with a Champions League winner. I'm Are you a football man, Jamie? Not really. Okay. Cool <laughs> I can thing. sound excited, though. <laughs> you and that's, that's what's important. Well, basically, it's the biggest prize in European club football. And he's won it. Which is pretty insane, really. That is brilliant. I again, I'm feeling so sort of like a filler episode now. <laughs> no, not at a bit all. Like a filler not, episode. not at all. This, <laughs> Just panning um, until the Champions League winner comes up. <laughs> I bet he didn't think he's still not got an Olympian on the other side. That's fine. <laughs> well, oh, 18, <laughs> 18 ago there was an Olympian, and in fairness, 
three ago, there's a 10-time world record holder. So take from what you will. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking, man. I'm joking. Uh, there's, I honestly, I've had, well, 168 episodes <coughs> and um, none stand out is not fun. You know, they're just, it's great. I just love opening up folks' minds, hearing what they're saying and having a good chat. So uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, as I said, that's been Jamie, 168. We'll see you next, well, not next week, it'll probably be in about two days uh, for number 169. See you then. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have. And I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector. And it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. And I'll see you for the next episode.